with Hashem's help, we're continuing in the laws of Tchum. This is Parashat Chukat 5779. <clears throat> so, we're learning in the Shulchan Aruch, Simen 396, Shvu Ish that a person should, Al Ish Mimikomo, a person shouldn't leave his place on Shabbat. In the Shulchan Aruch is telling us with the Mishnah Berurah that it says that a person's place, his Shabbos place, is defined by tachtav, by the lower part of him, which is referring to the legs extending from the waist down, that this is his rootedness into space and that those limbs are a yard long that the legs and the arms are about I think the same length which is about a yard for an average person and that actually the Shulchan Aruch is telling us that each person's Dalad Amot four yards of personal space is really larger or smaller, depending on the length of his limbs. But it's just to tell you something beautiful, again, about our rootedness in space, is that as a holy soul, we do have space in this world, that we've been talking about, that the predominant experience during the week, during the work week of the six days of creation is one of time rather than space. It's one of becoming rather than settling. But on Shabbos, when we pull back inwards, we get to taste space. We get to taste settling in. And the beautiful thing is, is that the origin of settled space is originating from the person themselves, that they have their own personal space that is their Shabbos space. It's just that that personal space gets to expand and encompass an entire city within an Erev if the Erev is created, such that there is an amplification of personal space. There's an amplification of settled space, an amplification of the domain of unity, the the Rishut Yachid. Okay, and continuing on into some halachas here. So now, in Shulchan Aruch, Orachayim, Sif 397, Shin Sadi Zion, we're learning the following. Kashem Shein Adam Rashay Lalech, Vishabas of Yontov, El Alpaim Amalech Ruach, Kach Kela Vahemto, Enyachal Shumadam Lalikham, Hus Alpaim Amashal Balea. Vim Erevu Balea, Laruach Achad, Ein Shumadam Yachal Lalikham, Laruach Acheret. Okay, as we said, these are kind of complex laws that they are building one on top of the other. So we talked about that there are two basic Shabbos spaces. One is the personal Shabbos space where one can carry, either as big as his own personal space, or it might extend it to as big as his home, where Shabbos began, or even as large as the city itself, if there's an Erev. And then we said there's 2,000 amot of, of tchum, 2,000 yards of extra walking space surrounding that personal Shabbos space, like an extended surrounding light or makif of extra travel space.
it gets a little more complicated now. Because the fact is, is that that's the default state of a person's tum, of, of a person's tum. That a person's tum, he, it's malleable. He can change the rules with certain uh, declarations or intentions or actions. So for example, you have somebody who's living in a city and he, he wants to be able to travel 4,000 yards away to another city. So if he just established his Shabbos space in his city, he wouldn't make it because he only has 2,000 yards outside of his city and he needs to go 4,000 yards. Let's just say it's a little less so that he's not playing around with crossing the line there. So what he can do is he can set up his, that his personal Shabbos space is in that 2,000 Amot space, that 2,000 yard midpoint between his city A and another city B. That way we say that he is actually residing on Shabbos in that midpoint space between his city and his friend's city that he'd like to visit on Shabbos. Therefore, when he shifts his Shabbos space as away from his city and into that 2,000-yard midpoint between his city and his friends, he loses... What he gains is the ability to travel 4,000 diameter yards from city A to city B. But what he loses is his ability to carry anything within the city where he begins. He can walk around his city, but he can't carry anything around his city because his city is no longer his dwelling. His dwelling is in that 2,000-yard midpoint out there in the hiking trail between his city and his friends, which is 4,000 yards away or so. So that's just an important thing to remember. And so now what the halacha is going to tell us is that... So then let's say that this person can't carry anything around his original city A because he adjusted his home, or yeah, he adjusted his personal Shabbos space as in that 2,000 yard midpoint. <clears throat> but let's say somebody finds his, one of his items owned by him. So this person who adjusted his Shabbos domain, he can't carry any objects around his city, even within his own home. But can his friend who finds his object do so? And the answer is no. And this is so, so beautiful to me. So very beautiful. What happens is that uh, when this person takes on an adjusted Shabbos domain, that now my Shabbos domain is in the midpoint between my city and my friends, and therefore I can't carry any objects even around my city or even in my home in the city. Neither can anyone else because all my stuff is coming with me. All of my property is magnetically attracted to the status of me. And this tells us something so deep and profound. 
that a person's property is an extension of himself. So you might say, and normally we say on Shabbos, Shabbos is a din, Shabbos is a law in the person that the person has to rest, but can his vessels be working? Can I keep my candles burning on Shabbos? Of course. Can I keep my oven on on Shabbos if I turned it on on Shabbos? If I lit the candle on sh- before Shabbos and I, I turned on the oven before Shabbos? Of course. My vessels don't have to rest like me as long as their activity was initiated before Shabbos. And we do that intentionally by lighting Shabbos candles before Shabbos, but that they are burning through Shabbos. But in this law of Tehum, we have the fascinating adjustment to that general principle that here, the person's vessels must behave exactly like him. That even though in general we say, my vessels don't have to rest like I have to rest as long as I initiated their activity of burning or cooking or dyeing dyes and wools before Shabbos commenced. Here, my objects do have to act like me. And if my Shabbos space has been adjusted through my volitional action, so to they take on my space as well, such that it's not like we say, oh, here's this guy. He didn't make my funny Erev out there in the forest. He, his Erev is in the city like everyone else's, and he can carry his objects around his city, A. Eh? So maybe he should be allowed to carry my objects around because he can carry objects around this city. It doesn't matter. Just because he can carry objects in general around city A, where he is residing on Shabbos, but that doesn't give him the halachic right to carry my objects that I own around the city because since I can't carry them in that area, no one can carry them. So it's just fascinating. It is cluing us in to deep truths surrounding the idea where there are intimate relationships between a person and their property, that the property becomes an extension of themselves, that the Shabbos space, my Shabbos space, is extending into and permeating all of the things that I own on Shabbos as well. It's a very, very beautiful image. So we'll just learn a few um, laws pertaining to this. Okay. Yeah. Um... So just a few beautiful laws about this. Okay. In Sif 9, it says, Shnaim shashalu chaluk zed leilech bo shachris vzed leilech bo arvis lo yalicho elo lamakum shashneim yacholim leilech. Vim erev zed lo sofa alpayim le mizrach vzed lo sofa alpayim le marav lo yazizim lakaman. You have two people who borrowed a shirt. They had a joint borrowing of the shirt. One guy borrowed the shirt for Shabbos to wear Shabbos morning, and the other one borrowed the shirt to be able to wear Shabbos afternoon. The shirt can only be carried <coughs> in the space common to them that they can carry. What does that mean? 
<clears throat> morning guy made a let's say morning guy made a special eruv that he wanted to travel far into the east. An afternoon guy to, who wants to wear the shirt in the afternoon, he makes an eruv that he wants to walk all the way to 2000 Amo to the west. The shirt cannot be moved. This was a mess up because they have no common space between them that they could both carry the shirt because one made his Arab to the extreme to the east and the other to the extreme to the west. There's no common space between them that they could carry. So here we're talking about joint ownership of the shirt through borrowing. That first of all, we learn here that the borrower is considered the owner for that period of time of any object. Furthermore, we see that there's an idea here of joint ownership through borrowing. And third, we see on Shabbos. And third, we see that if two people are having joint ownership of an object on Shabbos, either through a partnership or ownership or uh, uh, borrowing, like in this case, if the joint owners don't have any common space between them that they could both carry within that space, <coughs> so on Shabbos, the object is stuck. Let's say... They didn't make an Eruv so far from each other. One makes it only 500 yards to the east, and one makes it only 500 yards to the west. So in that case, there would be some common space in the middle that they could both carry that shirt in. Therefore, the shirt can only be carried in that common space. Okay, continuing. Okay. Um, uh, uh, uh. Sif 13. This is very beautiful. Okay, adding layers upon layers of law here. Let's talk about Yom Tov. Not Shabbos, but Yom Tov, one of the festivals. So here... On the festivals, the laws of Erev and Tehum are in effect. That we, just like on Shabbos, we can't travel too far. And we are limited in when, when and how we can carry. So too on Yom Tov. But on Yom Tov, we're opening up a whole, another aspect and dimension of Halacha. Which is that on Yom Tov, we can carry and light fires from an existing flame. Because on Yom Tov, it's brought that we can participate in what's called Ochel Nefesh. We're allowed to cook things, prepare food, even slaughter animals, bake bread, all these things, as long as from an existing flame, and as long as the idea is that the food is going to taste better if prepared in this way on Yom Tov, but that it wouldn't have tasted as good if prepared before Yom Tov. So like the classic example is baking bread. So bread is always considered tasting a lot better if baked and prepared on the day of the, of the festival rather than the day before. So therefore, as long as it's from an existing flame, the bread can be cooked on Yom Tov itself. 
Therefore, we're allowed to mess around with fire on Yom Tov in certain situations. So here the halacha is telling us that if a person is given a coal, a burning coal on Yom Tov, so the coal is considered an item that is owned by the giver. And when he's transferring the gift of that coal on Yom Tov to the recipient, the coal's status does not change to be part now of the Shabbos space of the recipient. It is still <clears throat> within the Shabbos space of the giver because <clears throat> apparently gift transfers on Shabbos or Yom Tov don't change. Well, well, really what's going on here is that since there wasn't a transfer of ownership of the coal or whatever gift you want to give, it wasn't occurring before Shabbos or Yom Tov. Therefore, it's ineffective to change ownership on Shabbos or Yom Tov itself. The ownership must be changed before Shabbos or Yom Tov. Therefore, since the ownership of this coal here being transferred through a gift transfer is not occurring before Yom Tov, therefore, it is still considered within the domain of the giver of the coal. On, on this Yom Tov, even though it was given to someone on Yom Tov, but it still uh, retains its Eruv space status of belonging to the giver. So again, if the giver of the coal was making a Eruv to the west of the city and couldn't carry it all in the city, so too the recipient of the coal cannot either. However, says the Mishnah and the Shulchan Aruch, <coughs> However, let's say on Yom Tov, though, the quote-unquote recipient is lighting his candle or, or wood or whatever from his friend's flame. So now is the flame that he is picking up from his friend, is he also only allowed to carry this flame where his friend was able to carry it such that his friend is sitting there with the original flame and his friend, his Shabbos space, he is excluded from carrying in the city because he made an Arab to the West. Now me, I'm lighting up from his flame. Am I similarly limited to not being able to carry this flame around the city? Answer is no. Because here, a flame, says the halacha, well, yeah, according to the Mishnah Bura, Because a flame doesn't have any substance to it. A flame is not like a coal. A coal has substance and therefore it is restricted to 
being in the Shabbos space of the giver of the of the coal, and sent because it was only gift transferred on Yom Tov. But here, a flame has no substance to it. Fascinatingly, and so if a person wants to on Yom Tov light from an existing flame. Even though he's lighting from the owner of the existing flame, or he's not really the owner of it, he's just holding the origination of the flame over there, and his Shabbos space is restricted to not, rather his Yom Tov space is restricted to not carrying in the city, doesn't matter, because a flame is not, it's an ephemeral, ethereal existence, it's not really an object that's tied to anyone's ownership. That there's a phrase, ner echad ner elef that a flame for one is a flame for a thousand. A flame is ownerless. It's, it's a very beautiful thing, the flame. Okay, we continue a little bit. Bor shel yachid harihu karagle ba'alav, v'shel ota yir karagle anshe ota yir, v'shel hefke karagle amamale. We have the case of the well water, the still well water. It's not flowing water, it's well water. So, let's say we have a private well owned by a private individual. So the water is able to be carried only as far as the owner of the well could carry his water. So as opposed to fire, which is ownerless, water is definitely tied to ownership. And if we're talking about a private well, so the water in that well has the same Shabbos space as the private owner of that well. So if that individual made, let's say, a 1,000-yard Erev to the west, extending his Erev and jutting out 1,000 amot or yards to the west, so therefore he can only carry in the city of his Shabbos Eruv, 1,000 amot or yards inwards east, and at that boundary within the city, going 1,000 amot east into his city as the counterpart to the 1,000 amot west that he extended his Eruv outside the city. So if the water is limited to being carried by that owner of the well water in that scenario, so similarly all people who would want to fill from that well, they would also be limited to carrying the water in that domain also. Next halacha. Um, the water, I'm going to skip a little bit. Let's say you have an ownerless well. So, fascinatingly here, even though we said that in general, ownership is not... Fantastic. So we said in the earlier case with the transfer of the coal that we can't transfer ownership on Shabbos or Yom Tov such that if the coal 
was in the ownership of the original giver from before uh, before Yom Tov. And even though he's transferring a gift on Yom Tov, it doesn't help. It's not effective to transfer ownership for the purposes of Shabbos space. It is still limited to the carrying space of the giver. But when you're talking about acquiring ownerless items on Shabbos or Yom Tov, i.e. filling up water from an ownerless well, then we bring in the fasc- another fascinating halachic concept of Brera. And Brera is what's called retroactive reality. What ha- and this is a, a seriously fascinating uh, feature in halacha. And it's a subject of a lot of arguments in halacha. But there's the question of if a state of existence is materializing now, do we say that it's as if it was always meant to be and that retroactively we say that this case was also existing at a previous point in time, such that the example here at hand, we have a person who is filling up well water from an ownerless well of water. He is filling it up and it's becoming his on Shabbos itself. Well, we could say doesn't help. It doesn't become part of your Shabbos space to carry it wherever you can go, wherever you could carry, because it was ownerless before Shabbos. So you can't just own it now. But according to the principle of Brera, we say that since we see that this point in time now, on Shabbos, you picked up this water, it became yours. It's as if it was always yours, even from before Shabbos. It's called Brera. Yesh Brera. That there's retroactive setting of reality such that what happens now in the present is going back and affecting the past such that we say that now that we see that you picked up this water it's like it was always yours it was always destined for you and it's like you owned it even from before Shabbos such that now that even though you're acquiring this ownerless water now in the present moment well into Shabbos we look at it as if right before Shabbos you had acquired it and it took on your Shabbos space fantastically beautiful because this is very deep stuff because in cutting edge quantum physics they are discovering that there's such a thing that particles their states in the present can shoot back and affect states of particles in the past which is just mind-blowing stuff so we see that reflected here and finally Naharos hamoshchos v'mayinos hanovim harihem kragli v'mali hayu bayim mechutz datchum latoch datchum v'mali mehem b'shabes vein sarich lamar biyomtov. Let's say we're talking about flowing rivers or flowing springs. Afal pishein novin novin afal pishein yotzin kragli v'mali afilo einam hefker kagon shashayach and lezeir oliachiv v'atam dechevan denaide lo kano shvisa etzel baleim. So here's the Chiddush here, and we'll stop here. You have, and this will be the end of the little series on Tchum, you have flowing rivers or flowing springs. In the Chiddush here, the novelty here is that we say that they are still like owned by a certain city or a certain group of individuals. Like there are interesting laws in water rights, like who has priority rights to fill from to fill up water from certain rivers or streams or springs 
So you might say, so then whoever fills up the water on Shabbos, you know, within the within the Arab city, they should still be limited to being able to carry that water only as far as the owners, so to speak, of those rivers or springs are. Like, let's say it's on their private property or that they purchase some water rights, some water extraction rights on their personal property within the city that is like their exclusive right. So, and then let's say that these owners, that they made an Eruv out to the west of the city limiting how far they can carry things and therefore you might think it's also limiting how far the water could be carried by an individual who fills up from these rivers or springs with permission of the owners. Says the, the halacha, no. Even though these people own the water rights, they don't own the water. And so when the water is filled up by somebody, uh, ostensibly with permission, we again activate brera. We again activate retroactive reality making to say that this water is owned by the one who fills it up right now on Shabbos. And don't get, don't get confused. He's filling it up within the Erev. So it's not like he's carrying outside of an Erev. Just the point being that if the owners of the water rights, they were limited to some extent and how much they could carry within the city, say because they extended their Erev out into the west of the city, that doesn't affect this one filling up the water. Even though the water rights are being owned individually by an individual or a group, that doesn't matter. It's different by the well. When it was still well water, we said that the whoever's filling up water from a privately owned well, his ability to carry the water is affected by how far but is affected by the extent of the Shabbos space of the private well water owner because well water is still water. Fascinating, beautiful ideas that the well water owned privately is settled and still, and therefore it is really owned effectively by the private well owner, by the private well water owner and takes on his the limitations of his Shabbos space. But when you're talking about a flowing river or a flowing spring, even though the rights to that water that is flowing might be privately owned or, you know, joint owned in a private venture, the owner, the private ownership of those water rights of flowing water is not affecting the Shabbos space of somebody who might be granted permission to fill up from that water that is flowing because since it's flowing that water is never settling in and taking on the space even of the ones who own those private rights to the water because it's moving it's in motion therefore the one is picking it up and causing it to settle in his bucket or whatever now he gets the retroactive ownership of that water from before Shabbos, and now that water can, can can travel around wherever he goes. Very complex, very fascinating. What is what is what do we learn here about the difference between still water versus flowing water? Let's just take the beauty and form of the beautiful form of the halacha as it is, and we'll think about it on our own. What are some deeper spiritual things that we can learn from the difference between how water is behaving 
uh, on Shabbos when it is still versus when it is flowing. Shabbos is soon. Have a beautiful rest of the week.